0: This is a production of the U.S. Department of Energy Joint Genome Institute, the JGI. Today, we're taking a look at a part of the JGI that's central to all kinds of projects, but also a place very few people really ever get to see, our genomic sequencing lab. As a user facility, the JGI supports lots of researchers' work every year. And for most of those users, working with the JGI starts out as writing a project proposal. Then, there are samples to collect. That part takes users all over the world, to forests and lakes, farms, and of course, occasionally, Antarctica. These samples generate troves of genomic data to drive all kinds of science. And for most JGI users, the first step in that data creation pipeline sounds like this, sending a box to Berkeley. They hand off samples in a shipment to the JGI, and then, after some time passes, get their data back online. But there's a lot that happens as samples go from shipments to sequences. So today we're headed into the lab for a look at how that goes.
1: The Department of Energy's joint Genome Institute.
0: It took the resources from JGI to make this possible.
1: Innovation in the field of genomics.
0: How living things transform our world, world, world. This is Genome Insider, where we dive into the JGI-supported genomics research that could advance clean energy and protect our environment. I'm your host, Manika Wilhelm. And like many JGI users, I'm new to the JGI's Genome Sequencing Lab. Chris Dom is showing me around.
1: So I'm Chris Dom. so I lead the sequencing platforms group here at the JGI. So my team is specifically tasked with the automated sample prep of uh, sequencing libraries and then loading those libraries on one of our sequencing platforms, the Illumina or PacBio sequencers.
0: And before we get to sample prep and sequencers, let's talk a little bit about sequencing at the JGI. Reading DNA's nucleotides is how the JGI got started. That was 25 years ago, when a complete human genome didn't exist yet. The JGI was formed to help sequence the DNA of three chromosomes for the Human Genome Project, And since then, sequencing has changed a bunch, and the JGI has expanded to do a lot more, too.
1: We're not just sequencing instruments. We have a lot of people that are dedicated, both on the front end, uh, to work with our users. So that's our project management office and our scientific programs to help them plan out their their projects and put together really good design of experiments to really focus on answering the scientific questions that, that they're
0: after. For many projects at the JGI, sequencing is really just the beginning. JGI users also get support understanding and annotating genomes and looking at which genes are turned on or off or which metabolites are being produced under certain conditions. For some projects, the JGI will even write or synthesize DNA to test specific questions that a genome brings up.
1: So it doesn't end once we generate the sequence. We take it to completion with the analysis uh, for projects as well
0: but many projects do start with a sample to be sequenced. So that's where we're starting too. Sequencing samples is almost a bit of a ballet. Many moving parts and precisely set steps. You can think of it happening in three acts. Act Act one, one, sample management. So basically receiving samples and storing them carefully until sequencing starts. Act two, quality check and library creation. So that's checking to be sure that samples meet requirements and then preparing them for sequencing. Act three, sequencing. Sequencing. So running samples through machines that read their base pairs. And at the JGI, this sequencing is a high throughput operation. Every year, our labs process somewhere around 35,000 samples. So all of these steps happen on a giant scale with hundreds of samples running in parallel thanks to automation. At any given time, Hundreds to thousands of samples are in progress. So let's see what that looks like.
1: Happy to yeah, show you around.
0: Act 1. Sample Management The JGI handles samples from far and wide. We could be talking algae from the Arctic, or gut microbes from Australian camels, or even giant bacteria from the Caribbean.
1: So a lot of these times we're looking at these these organisms that are extreme in their nature. So we're trying to figure out like, how do they thrive in different environments? So they come from very interesting places for sure.
0: But when those samples make their way to the JGI in Berkeley, California, they all arrive the same way.
1: We actually ship pre-labeled containers to the, the PI and the user that they'll put their samples into.
0: Those labels have barcodes. So when samples arrive, they're all ready to be welcomed in.
1: So this is our sample
0: receipt lab here.
1: Typically, samples are sent on dry ice or uh, wet ice, um, and here they get unpacked.
0: Most samples don't get sequenced right away, so frozen samples are headed straight back to cold temps for storage. There's a very clear star of the show in this sample receipt lab, the freezers, and there are two. Each one is a giant walk-in closet-sized machine, and these freezers have names. They're SAMs.
1: So it stands for Sample Access Manager. And that's just the, um, the vendor that makes them, that's their name for them.
0: These SAM freezers are very different from your standard lab freezer. They don't have handles or doors. Instead, they have computer monitors and square tinted windows at eye level. When you go to put samples into this freezer, you load tubes or racks into a little black compartment. Then the SAM scans their barcodes and moves the samples into their proper space for storage. So it just like opened a little- The idea with these freezers is to keep user samples stable, secure, and organized. Many of these specimens are totally irreplaceable. So these SAMs keep everything at a super consistent minus 80 degrees Celsius. No temperature shifts from open doors. And with a machine moving everything around, they're super organized. Something not every lab freezer can say.
1: So we have a computer tracking system where we check uh, all the IDs of all of our samples as they flow through the lab.
0: Okay, and that noise that just interrupted Chris a bit, that's also from the way these SAMs move samples around.
1: The sound that you just heard there is part of the mechanical robotic system, and so it uses air pressure to move it around, and that's just the off-gassing.
0: It's all totally automated, including when it's time to pull a sample for sequencing.
1: So you can think of these SAM freezers as automated uh, vending machines uh, for samples.
0: You order up your sample from a computer system, and the SAM actually finds it for you. We ran into someone doing just that. Yeah, so what's happening is I'm just pulling out a single tube right now. Hi, I'm Kathleen Lail, and I work in the sample management group. So Kathleen has ordered up a single test tube. It'll take a minute for the SAM to retrieve it, because it's got to locate the sample and then move it out, which also involves shifting around other tubes. So that it keeps the most open spaces, and it has to create an open rack to put this tube. Yeah. And then, Voila! sample delivered. It's amazing. Which is where we start that second act. Act two, quality check and library creation. Setting up for sequencing involves plenty of quality control. Technicians first measure how much DNA made it into a sample. The sequencers need 200 nanograms of genomic DNA to make JGI's standard, PCR-free, whole genome shotgun sequencing library. And 200 nanograms might sound very small, but it turns out to be a lot of genetic material. Hundreds of trillions of base pairs. And sequencers can't read that DNA in its original form.
1: So if you think of DNA, when it's wound up in a chromosome or it's actually within a cell, we're talking millions of nucleotides in length. And so when you do an extraction, if you do a really good sample extraction, you can actually recover very long strands of DNA from a cell. But that's too long for us to work on.
0: So no matter what kind of sequencing you're doing, there's chopping involved.
1: So you take these long strands, long molecules that are hundreds of thousands or even millions of nucleotides long, and then we chop them up into smaller pieces. And then we're able to sequence those individual pieces uh, much more easily.
0: This step, chopping DNA down to size so a sequencer can read it, is called library prep.
1: So it's really just that analogy of a library, a book, contains information, So does uh, genomic DNA that if we sequence it and read it, just like a book, it gives us information about the sample.
0: And for many samples, library preps happen with the help of more automation. So there are robots up ahead. First, a quick break. If you're a researcher who would like to send samples into the JGI for a project focused on clean energy or the environment, one way to do that is to submit a proposal to the JGI Community Science Program. We have projects in genomic sequencing, DNA synthesis, and metabolomics in all sorts of non-human organisms. Our current Community Science Program proposal call is looking for projects in functional genomics. That call closes at the end of January, and we'll have an episode soon with more details on submitting a proposal. But in the meantime, you can find more information at our website. There's a link in the show notes. And now, back to our tour of the JGI sequencing pipeline. So far, we've seen how DNA samples come in. They're stored in big, automated freezers until it's time for sequencing. Then, the next step is setting up samples for sequencing. So quality checks and chopping samples into bits the sequencers can read. And because the JGI works on a really wide range of projects, on plants and algae, fungi, viruses, bacteria, archaea, this lab has really tailored capabilities for studying all of those organisms.
1: At the JGI, we have you know, several dozen, I think close to the 40 different um, types of sample preps that we do, depending on the sample type, the type of sequencing that we're doing, the type of data analysis that, that we're trying to do as well.
0: And in terms of setting up samples, there's another important piece of this pipeline that affects sample preparation. The JGI does two different kinds of sequencing, and samples get prepped differently depending on which one you're using. There's long-read sequencing, where a machine from the company PacBio reads hundreds of thousands of base pairs at a time. And there's short-read sequencing, where an Illumina machine reads bits of DNA that are hundreds of base pairs long.
1: And then the two technologies, they're used for different applications.
0: We'll hear more about the long and short of that soon. For now, we're headed back to our library prep step. And because different sequencers read different lengths of DNA, library prep happens differently for each machine.
1: So for a PacBio library...
0: That's the long-read sequencing.
1: We don't fragment the DNA quite as small. So we keep it longer on purpose just so we can sequence those longer reads.
0: So technicians do these long read library preps by hand, but short read sequencing happens on a bigger scale. So those library preps happen in a 384-well plate with help from machines.
1: So we have these liquid handler robots.
0: And these robots sit right on top of a lab bench. They look like big black boxes with cool technological silver accents. Inside, they've got a motorized arm that moves side to side with basically a whole grid of pipette tips on its end. So a robot like this is all set up to do bench work on its own, from pipetting to scheduling wait times, and of course, changing pipette tips in between. And DNA library preps require all of these capabilities.
1: So for a DNA library prep, we're going from extracted genomic DNA to a sequencing library. And to go from that starting material to that final material, There's a series of enzymatic steps, or chemical reactions that happen uh, to convert that genomic DNA into a library that can be sequenced.
0: And this liquid handler carries that process out in each well of this plate. It'll pipette in the enzymes to chop DNA down to size and add the template DNA that'll allow a sequencer to read these samples.
1: And what this allows us to do is a single technician can, instead of just processing a few samples at a time at the bench, they can use these automated robots to help them process hundreds of samples at a time.
0: So that's a big way this lab accomplishes such high throughput. And it wraps up this library prep step.
1: Next would be the sequencing step. And we do perform one more quality control step. So once the libraries are created, we again need to quantify them to know um, the concentration of our libraries before we can load them on the sequencer.
0: So once samples are checked twice and prepped in their libraries, it's time for the grand finale. Act 3. Sequencing. Which brings us to our sequencers.
1: So we have the one NovaSeq 6000 and then the three PacBio SQL2E instruments.
0: They're named Instrument 1 and Instruments 1, 2, and 3. But here, I would like to take a quick tangent into the past. Because in the mid-90s and early 2000s, the JGI had far more instruments than this. And so they used to have names.
1: We had lower throughput sequencers, so we required a lot of instruments. Uh, we would name them. So this was back in like the early Sanger sequencing days, capillary sequencing. So at an old facility in Walnut Creek, we had four different labs. There were just rows and rows of sequencers, and I think we had just over 100 instruments at one point. And so I do recall that you know, we had a series of sequencers that were superhero names, so like Marvel and DC superheroes. And then we had another set of sequencers that we used at University of California and State University mascots to, to name them, so that's certainly been part of the past. But that usually comes with it when you have a lot of instruments and you're trying to keep track of them all.
0: Since then, sequencing technology has shifted enough that while the JGI used to work with four labs of sequencers, we now operate with four very powerful sequencers at the other end of this one lab.
1: And they are a little bit louder with the fans.
0: Yeah. So first, let's talk short read sequencing. This all happens on one machine.
1: So this is our NovaSeq instrument. So this is our flagship Illumina sequencer. Um, It's the primary data generator that we have here at the JGI.
0: It's got a fairly similar form factor to an extremely streamlined Xerox copy machine with a monitor ready to show the level of sequencing happening. Samples go into the NovaSeq machine in a flow cell. So picture a glass rectangle, roughly the size of a smartphone screen, bordered by a thin white plastic rectangle.
1: So this is the uh, Illumina flow cell, and this is really the heart of the uh, sequencing system.
0: The glass rectangle at the center of the flow cell is two glass slides, so samples flow in between them. And they're split up into four chambers that run the length of the glass slides. It looks a little like four lanes in a mini swimming pool. Those chambers are where sequencing libraries flow in.
1: And within the chambers, there's surface oligos, which are some short strands of DNA and they're complementary in sequence to those adapters that we've attached to them.
0: All DNA bits get template sequences as part of the library prep.
1: And so the templates, as they flow through, they'll hybridize into those oligos and get captured to the surface of the flow cell. And once they're captured, then the sequencing process can start.
0: Are they running
1: right now? Uh, it actually is running right now. So you can see here, two runs are going. They're about two thirds complete based on the status bar. So this one is projected to generate just under four terabases of sequence data.
0: So that's four trillion base pairs. And sequencing this kind of sample works differently than sequencing human genomes. But for an idea of size, our human genomes are about three billion base pairs. So this sample run is working with the number of base pairs contained in over a thousand people's genomes. And that's on the small side for this machine it can generate eight terabases of sequence data in one run, which takes about two days. So that's short read sequencing on the Illumina NovaSeq machine. And this kind of sequencing fuels lots of different projects.
1: So if you're just doing like a resequencing study or just mapping to a reference genome, short reads are perfect for that if you're just looking for SNPs and things.
0: Then there's the 3 bio machines, the SQL2Es. They're roughly the size of a refrigerator with a black top half and a gray lower half. And they do long-read sequencing.
1: So you get these really nice long sequencing reads that are then re- very easy to assemble to get really high-quality, complete genomes out of them. And they can also do full-length RNA-seq transcript sequencing as well.
0: And to go into a PacBio machine, samples travel in a different vessel. Yes,
1: yeah, so PacBio, they use what they call a smart cell. is what their thing. So that's S-M-R-T, and that stands for Single Molecule Real-Time uh, Sequencing.
0: And this long read sequencing is lower throughput. You get five or six million sequencing reads, but the reads are much longer, hundreds of thousands of base pairs.
1: So they're really kind of these, they're these nice complementary technologies. So one is very long reads, just not very many of them. The other one is lots of reads, but they're short.
0: And whether it's been through long read sequencing or short read sequencing, a sample that's come this far has been through quite a pipeline from the SAM freezers to library prep, and finally a sequencer. And in all of these steps, skilled scientists are making sure everything that comes through the pipeline will be high quality and accurate. And those sequences are really not the final step.
1: So we have really expansive bioinformatics teams and groups that will work with our users um, to help do the analysis that they're after.
0: So while our tour ends here with samples running through sequencers, for most projects, this part is really just the beginning. it for our spin through the JGI sequencing lab. We'll be back in a month with more details on submitting proposals to work with the JGI. This episode was written and produced by me, Manika Wilhelm, with production help from Massey Ballin, Alison Joy, and Ashley Papp. Many thanks to Chris Dom, Kathleen Lale, Tanya Wojcik, and Len Pinocchio. If you like this episode, help someone else find it. Tell them about it, send a link over, or leave us a review wherever you're listening to the show. Genome Insider is a production of the Joint Genome Institute, a user facility of the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Science located at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in Berkeley, California. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.